You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia, and Psychedelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR, and this afternoon, uh, in celebration of Support Don't Punish Day, which was on Wednesday this week, uh, marking the UN's International Day Against Drug Trafficking, uh, by suggesting that instead of punishing people constantly, which hasn't worked for the 50, 60, 70 years that prohibition has been around, maybe we should look at supporting those with drug problems and leaving those without drug problems alone. Uh, this discussion that you're about to hear uh, was recorded uh, earlier this week and is a discussion about how class issues affect uh, affect people's uh, experience with justice, experience with drugs, experience with police. Uh, so please enjoy. Uh, thank you also to Freedom of Species. They'll be back 2 p.m. next, uh, 1 p.m. next week. Find more information on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Hi, this is Hugo the Poet. You're listening to 3CR. And by doing that, you're supporting Community Radio, an incredibly important institution in our times. It's in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au. And we're continuing a series uh, with uh, two episodes that we've run in the past with Chloe Spann hosting uh, those discussions uh, on um, how, on, on drug use and its uh, broader implications on people. No, how, how am I phrasing this? <laughs> what am I saying? Um, so, I'm like, <clears throat> the classist experience for people who use um, drugs, so, and that's a connection to both income but also status as well. So when we think about class, we're not just thinking about our relationship to income, like how much money we have. It's also um, how we're viewed by society and our status is a is a, another way of um, thinking about class. So, yeah, so people's experiences and how they relate to drug use when it comes to status or class. And if you, um, even if you were brought up middle class um that doesn't necessarily mean that you stay middle class your whole life there'll be various changes in the way that society perceives you which will be inherently classist and which is also often associated with drug use as well um i guess i'll kick it off with i guess yeah articulate yeah with um some of it so when we when we're talking about that Although income does play a big part of drug use, so uh, when we think about income firstly, um, your access to service provision is a big one. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I know Frankie, you had to, you um, bought, you paid for a private, Absolutely. A private yeah. rehab, whereas I don't have the money yeah to do that yeah. so it's extensive wait times and also it's a bit coercive like you know in terms of treatment options um ORT is a big one that they always want to put you on and if you're stuck with a really stubborn withdrawal nurse <laughs> um yeah you don't really have much room to move you can't I can't afford to pay for a private rehab or a private Mm. Um, withdrawal facility where I can use, you know, my like I prefer like a tapered down method because my usage with pain medication is usually about eight 
average or eight and under penalty and forward. And if you convert that into suboxone, it's it's like point zero two. It's like a small amount, and so it just would have really knocked me around. And I just really wanted to taper off, but um, a lot of facilities were just not happy with that. And then yeah, and then like the mental health presentation, you have to wait for just forever just to get any form of treatment. So. Well, and when I was coming off methadone, and no one wanted to detox me from methadone, like even private places had a problem with detoxing me from methadone, particularly because I was still using, like I was still using ice and I was still using heroin on top of the methadone. And their kind of, their position was, if you're not using any heroin, it's because you're on methadone that that's working for you. So why would you want to stop doing that? And if you're still using on top of the methadone, then you're going to need the methadone in order (laughs) (laughs) to not die from the using. And there was also this kind of like inherent position that people don't really get off drugs. It's not really a thing that happens. You can only really do sort of endless long-term treatment for it for the rest of your life. And um, the only place, like there was two places in Melbourne that were willing to... um, to detox me from methadone and one of them was it was 12 step and it was incredibly kind of punitive in its approach um and like it was I, I just didn't want to go there <laughs> also really expensive but the other place like I had to get I had to get private health insurance and kind of the top level private health insurance and have it for an amount of time before I was even able to engage with the service at all um yeah because I want to get um I'm thinking about getting private health insurance because when it, you know how you've got like psych wards yeah. and they're just not a nice place. No one yeah. wants to go there. Right. Um, but you know, if you do really want some inpatient trauma yeah. focused care. So when I was dealing with like um, a lot of the re-traumatization with my PTSD symptoms, which meant, you know, reactive drug use, I, I instinctively knew that I needed somewhere to go to minimize harm to myself and to just get some like real intense therapy, maybe some yoga, I don't know. That just doesn't exist like in the public sector. Like the the psych ward, like I visited mum in psych wards and they're not not, like they're not not therapeutic. But the (laughs) private psych ward that I went to was actually, it was a bit like the big brother house. You know, you're all kind of like locked in there. There's like this giant television. It's all a bit Ikea. Do you know what I mean? You've got like these nice nurses that come and like, you know, give you a bunch of Lagactyl or whatever. <laughs> it's like kind of fine. Um, but for me, like I, um, I didn't really have any of my own money, but because I have social capital, because I come from the middle class, because I have family money, like when I sort of demonstrated willingness to be not a junkie anymore my family were kind of like this is fine like we're totally into this and we will pay for you to get private health insurance in order for me to go into the detox because even the private rehabs won't really take you if you're on methadone they um because they they're all total abstinence so they're not going to give they can't give you methadone while you're there so you have to be not on methadone if you're going to go to a private rehab so i needed to get into a medical facility in order to detox from methadone first and I mean that's hugely privileged like the fact that I could go and detox from 90 milligrams of methadone in a psych ward over six weeks is so so different from a lot of my friends that have had to detox from methadone in the community coming down one or two mils per week or per month or doing these blind reductions or whatever and they take 18 months two years just to get down to zero which gives them the opportunity to then maybe 
go to a, a rehab if they can afford to do that. Yeah, they it's, won't even let me taper. So codeine, they won't let me taper in a in a public detox from like with using a taper method. Yeah, they just won't let me. Yeah. they're just like no. They, they let me yeah. once, and then a year rolled around, and like I had to go back to court and do a victim impact statement. And so I started using again. And they were like, oh well, it didn't work the first time. And I'm like, are you aware that drug use is a chronic relapsing condition? Like it's not that it didn't work. And you would find that a lot of people on ORT also. Yeah. relapse as well so it's like um so well, there, yeah there's nowhere to go so look i myself have only ever done seven day eight day detox in um public units uh probably on three occasions but i've never done a rehab as such so am i correct in saying that to enter a rehab you have to pretty much go directly from the detox to the rehab with yeah. no no like, space in between no gap. Right. so yeah. there's that issue there also isn't there of getting those to line up line up absolutely yep. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of them, they kind of have deals with each other. Like a lot of the private places, they kind of have relationships with each other where they will take clients from from a private um, detoxing facility, like a private hospital, into a private rehab and they change the programs around for people who are kind of doing that. Um, and they give discounts and there's like, you know, there's this whole kind of like capitalist agenda that goes on. Yeah. There's, um, like, there's just so much to be said for the lack of access to health care and stuff when it comes to income because like there are other mechanisms. So I like use drug, like, drug disorders and mental illness kind of interchangeably. Like I, don't, I just believe that they're kind of like... The same thing. Yeah, the same thing. Um, so like... We all know, like, there are other things that can help us with our mental health, such as exercise, good quality food, um, trauma-informed care. So at the moment, you, I can only get, um, I can get more next through Victims Comp, but before I could only get 10 sessions with my therapist, which is not going to do anything. Like, I get to know them. I'll, like, talk about maybe half of the trauma that I've experienced in the 10 sessions, and we've got to wait a year to see them again and just going to the affording to go to the gym and that kind of stuff because mm. you know it's all well and good to go oh well I'll go for a walk or go for a run but I kind of need a class where they like force me to keep going for an hour like absolutely otherwise I'll just do it for 15 minutes be like oh I'm done <laughs> like, <laughs> like and, and in a class like you could you know you can't leave without everyone like looking at you and judging you so yeah. like, <laughs> like, you're kind of like locked in once you go in there because it's just like so many different ways in which drug use just really impacts you a lot harder when you don't have the money to be able to manage like your health care and, and it's just getting worse like the Andrews government cut funding to um, community oh, he cut funding to like community services he promised 1,000 public houses and to put it in perspective the wait list is 88,000 and it goes up by 500 a month so he, he's like, oh, here's 1,000 public counts. That would cover, like, the wait list of two months. Like, it would do nothing. And then he also um, – but it's funny, 1,000 um, houses but 1,600 prison beds, he promised. So, <laughs> like, the way that he's tackling um, the health issues that are particularly associated with lower status or, or poverty are pretty evident, like, in, you know, his approach. Yeah. Um, which actually, like, brings me, I guess, to, like, speaking about the criminalisation of mm. um, drug use and status. So we were... Our house was just raided constantly by police growing up. And a big part of my... I mean, you know, I have mental health issues for a variety of reasons, but one of the major um, 
first mental health issues I remember experiencing was as a child I developed quite bad anxiety and quite bad um I think it was called dependency disorder back then where I had to like always be like with my dad or sleep in his bed like just attached to him constantly because they would literally so they would either um be you know violently coming into our house at all hours of the night you never know you never knew when they were going to come in they'd trash the house they'd beat up my dad would hear like yelling and banging in the next room or there was like one time I was um dad was taking me to kinder and I was like on his uh and I remember this day like so vividly like I had this lollipop that he gave me it was shaped like a dummy and like I dropped on the grass and got like stuff on it and so I had to like he rinsed it under the tap and I thought like how wonderful and magical it was that he could just automatically like make that soiled lolly like good again like like, (laughs) do you know what I mean like the wonder of like your child you're like oh wow like and then like we proceeded to keep walking and then uh um like a cop car, like a, one of the bands, the Divi bands, pulled up and they started calling out his name. And I, like, turned around and Dad was like, don't look, just don't look. And he just kept walking and they kept calling out his name. And eventually they came and they grabbed him and I just screamed, like, they got me off his shoulders and I, like, sat on his, like, foot and grabbed hold of his leg. And it was, like, three of them trying to pull him into the Divi van and there was no, like you're arrested for anything or anything like that. They were just always trying to grab him and they couldn't get him in. Like, and he's not like a big guy either. Like, I guess me screaming and sitting on his leg and him just being fairly stubborn, they just didn't get him into the divvy van that day. I can't remember what, I was like pretty young, was only like four. So like, the the cops just like, this constant violence that they perpetrate against poor communities. And my dad's like crime the reason, like, they would constantly um, harass us is because they would accuse him of selling cannabis. And he was never charged. I know, like, wow, like, <laughs> what a threat to society. Um, and if you think about, like, even in, like, medical interventions, they always weigh up, like, risk versus benefit. You know, mm. like, is the intervention worth more, like, health-wise and the damage? Where if we look at that, it was not worth, like... What would take, like, my dad told, like, he wasn't a big-time dealer. He just would try to cover his own costs for his own weed, you know. Like, he wasn't, um, like, you know, big-time at all. So they never, they never actually ever got him for dealing anyway. Um, So, but we had to, like, so we'd have to move towns constantly and we'd always, like, sometimes we'd get home from school Dad would have the car packed and he's like, we're going because, like, they'd figured out where we were and they'd start harassing us again. And they wouldn't do it just through, you know, the way that the police wear you down isn't just through um, sanctioned, like, police-warranted raids. They also just try and, like, harass you for anything. So they'd pull him over if his headlight was dodgy because they knew who he was. They would just constantly, they'd put a canary on his car. Like, they would just constantly find any excuse to um just hassle him out really and yeah. uh any excuse whatsoever to like get through the house like there was one time um that they even got me and my brother to break into our own house to let them in which is not like remotely legal and um one time when i ran away from home i was 13 they like got, took me to the playstation and they had me in the room and they were trying to get me to tell them who, who all the dealers were. <laughs> like, they were, like, being really nice to me and they're like, oh, can you tell us who the dealers are? Or do you know, like, that guy, you know, if he's selling? Or, like, it's just, it was just ridiculous. So, 
Yeah, like when you enter the drug world, your status, you, you know, the police are not people that are remotely, they don't serve the same purpose than they do for the rest of society. Well, I think that that's true, even like of the, like, f- for if you are middle class and you're going into the drug world, is that like my experience with the police has been so completely different to that. You know, like, I've never been arrested. I don't have any police history. I don't have any of those kinds of things. And I just really believed at the time that it was because the police in this city are deeply stupid. And if you wear enough cashmere, they just can't see that you could possibly commit crime. And that really seems to be the case. Do you know what I mean? Like, even when I was, you know, a sex worker working the street, I kind of presented well enough because I had enough capital to be able to kind of buy nice clothes and have nice things and you know, wear good skin creams and stuff like that. And that was all kind of like, you know, that was all kind of fine. But I remember once, like, I was on Victoria Street and I was buying heroin and I had accidentally bought some heroin off this guy with a cop standing right behind us. And, like, I had the heroin in my pocket and the cop was going, obviously, for the guy who was selling it to me and not really to me. And I was... I was kind of off my face, but I remember being all like, listen, like, my boyfriend is, uh, he just called me and he said that he's on Victoria Street. Victoria Street is a very, very long street and I know that he has his phone in his hand, but now when I'm calling him, he's not answering the phone and you need to arrest him. He's hurt and like just going mad at this police officer who's like, you need to fucking move. <laughs> like, just could not be less interested in me and my fucking 50 yeah. and like going after this guy who was obviously you know lived in the commission flats yeah. like obviously didn't have any kind of money and I was kind of there like in a suit basically um and it just they just it just was not interested in what I looked like and what I was doing and yeah. wanted to go straight past me like it's so far Stata- away yeah it's like that status thing because now like <coughs> the pharmacy that I go to and they um like I use them for my taper before and I'd asked her, like, in the past, like, do you guys do, like, Suboxone and stuff from here? Like, during period, I was considering doing Suboxone. Mm. And she's like, oh, I'm licensed to, but we don't have any. But she's like, oh, I'll do it for you, though, because, like, it's just, you know, like, the kind of client, we don't want, like, certain types of clients coming in. Right. And she just, like, mistook me for middle class or something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> this like, is the thing, is that yeah. there are signifiers for it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that this idea about, it's not just necessarily about income, it's really about attitude it's really yeah. about presentation like it's really kind of about passing as middle class yeah even if you're not really do you know what i mean like, i just always make sure i do my makeup and stuff before i go in i'm like i don't want to look dodgy like i'll brush my hair and, <laughs> yeah. and i'll like hide like that like my eyelids are red and that but like, like makeups do wonders so like you know i right? like do it all up so like i looked you know like an average normal nice lady <laughs> like, yeah absolutely you know, coming in for a so you, you look like the kind of person who's accidentally gotten yeah you're a decent person that's just sort of like you know had a yeah. bit of a i had a bit, had of, a bit of pain of a, or yeah, something you've still got yourself and now it's a bit of come a bit of a problem but I you're going to be all right whereas somebody else would be treated like no you've, you're choosing to I just be an so addict funny, and you're like, just, you know, yeah, like depending on how you look and how you present there was this one time where she um like she I bought in a new script it was for a bunch of codeine and um like some volume and stuff like that and she's like oh, I've got to call the person who gave me the script because it's a new script or whatever and uh it was nearing five and I was just like waiting patiently and it was really busy and anyway she couldn't get a hold of them and I was like look 
don't worry about it. I'll be fine. I'm, like, I'm not going to die overnight. Like, I'll come back. She's like, oh, no, nah, it's fine here. You know, you can just you can just have it. Like, I know you're probably fine. And then um, she gave it to my bag, but she she forgot to bring it up. And I was like, oh, it's funny that she mistook me for middle class, but then I just, like, walked out and didn't pay for my meds. So I was like, <laughs> joke's on you, lady. I'm actually lower class. <laughs> That'll teach you. But I think that it's interesting, like, in terms of the systemic problems with it because you know if I had for like I mean I was a sex worker I was working on the street I did take a lot of drugs I had a lot of drugs with me they really could have just arrested me and I would have been in a bunch of trouble but I have money and I have lawyers in my family do you know what I mean like that'd be handy yeah (laughs) do you know what I mean it's like this isn't going to be the kind of problem for me that it is going to be for a person who doesn't have family support who doesn't have money who doesn't have you know, a bunch of social capital. Like, I didn't have any money personally. Do you know what I mean? It's not like I had gone out and, you know, worked really hard and (laughs) earned this money that was, like, sitting there in the bank waiting for me to be arrested so that I could pay for lawyers. Like, I didn't do anything. I just got born, did a bunch of stuff, and happened to have a whole bunch of resource behind me, you know? Yeah. And a lot of my friends that did get arrested, they just, you know, they they had... um, you know, like, not their own lawyers. They just had those kind of, like, public defence people that don't really do anything. And they just got slammed, you know? Like, every single thing that could possibly get thrown at them got thrown at them. And, you know, they got really um, kind of exploited and coerced into kind of speaking against themselves when they were being arrested. Like, and, of course, we were on a bunch of drugs, and so, like, it weren't necessarily... um, acting to protect themselves because <laughs> they didn't understand the law and they didn't understand, um, I guess, the way that you're supposed to interact with police. Yeah. But, you know, I can just kind of go to my uncle and be like, what's the best thing for me to say if I get arrested and get really good legal advice yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. just for free, you know, because I'm sitting at dinner with some criminal lawyer. Does that happen in prisons? Is there like a class stratification in prisons? Um, not really as such. Um, look, I've, I've served four sentences in my time. Um, they, were all, they were all crimes of dishonesty, really, um, property crimes and all that sort of thing. Proud to say, I mean, I should, can't really justify crime, but you know, I never physically hurt anybody or robbed somebody's house or you know, I, I wasn't the, the cliché addict who you know, would snatch handbags and all that sort of thing that most people think, you know, mm. um, like a heroin user is. But... Um, yeah, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, like, were there, were there any people in there that you knew that were like wealthy or rich, or did everyone just become the same status when you were in prison? Most, most are. You've, you'd probably say your your peer workers and your unit billets inside the jail. So the guys who do the inductions with the new prisoners, or they just run the general unit and have a bit extra trust from the staff there. Um, but they those jobs get passed on as their mates come into the jail and and these days a lot of them are the bikers and that too that run the units so like tobacco for instance so when i was at fulham prison and over two and a half years ago um i won't mention the club but yeah a certain club was running the tobacco trade in there and that well overtook the um black market of drug trade in jail and it has overtaken and still you know remains strong to this day since they banned tobacco but i mean a few years ago, my first sentence, I met this one guy in jail and um, he was actually one of the lawyers who was embroiled in that big fiasco with John Farnham many years ago over the tax evasion and things. He was one of the accountants. And he basically ran his 
um, he ran his business from jail. He'd, he'd attend the the main centre, um, the administration building of the jail every morning to have a video link conference with his board of directors. And, <laughs> and you're only supposed to have those to meet your lawyer. And But because his lawyer was present, it was regarded as a legal call. So <laughs> he'd, he'd run his business from jail. He ended up getting out in home detention in his um, big mansion in South Yarra with his butler and maid and everything. So... But yeah, money talks. Was I mean, he, so was he just on remand when he was in the prison, and then he got his sentence was home detention. Oh, he was or, he was already sentenced, but he um, finished off the remainder of his sentence in home detention. But he was actually transferred from another medium security jail because he had issues with some prisoners there. He was you know, physically attacked. And yeah, would he get, would they get exploited if they were like you know if if you know that not you personally, but like yeah. in prison if you know that somebody's got money. Would that make him a target? Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely, yeah. Um, so it kind of happens in, re- like, the status yeah. gets reversed yeah, in the prison. So, like, when I was living in uh, a housing estate with dealers and stuff like that, the way status works, because it's a different, it's a world unto itself, and I'm wondering if prison is like that too. So the highest status people were the dealers and then dealers above them, and then, you know, the lower status are the people that are, like, you know, just come and getting stuff on tick and, Yeah, you but know. that's ultimately about capital. Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, that is the same system yeah. of oppression <laughs> that yeah. is working in that world unto itself because the dealers and the bigger dealers are the people that have managed to develop enough capital yeah. to have drugs and buy for cheaper than the people that don't have the capital and have to get ticked. Yeah, and they've got, people beneath you know? yeah. Yeah. And they got the power because they control the, like, the access the, to resource. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. It's like the means of production. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the means of the, like, like, the inner, like the lower class bougie, the yeah. bourgeoisie, the lower class bourgeoisie. <laughs> A bit of lower class bourgeoisie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I be chilling in most icely. We be rolling the smoke nicely. My team is the most spicy. But sneak my drinks in that shit so pricey. I would start some shit, but I drank the whole Molotov. Alcohol, the dank weed got me about to bottom off. I'm like your favorite rapper, but I'm wearing less ice. Tell people I'm woke, cause I don't know how to dress nice. Don't care if it's super new, wonder what we're to do. Drop up in that foreign whip, but it's more like super love. I got drive, and I don't know how to stop. Cut the brakes, I ain't taking no breaks till I drop. I was a born loser, race to be a stormtrooper. Said fuck that, short fuse with the cord loose up. I bust back, make him run for cover, yelling what's that? Do with the laser gun that ain't afraid to cut slack. Listen, I know you think I owe you something, fam. Once again, I be running around my city wondering, man. How you dare fall the knack like it's their fault? You threw an air ball, you should have been careful. Huh? Slow down, clock, you killin'. Slow down. Slow down, clock, you killin'. Slow down. Slow down, pop, you killin'. Bodies on top of dead bodies at the minimum. Slow down. Slow down, pop, you killin'. Slow down. Slow down, pop, you killin'. Slow down. Slow down, pop, you killin'. Bodies on top of dead bodies at the trenches. Dunga dangs use me as me do me thing. I catch a foot and I just stomach like me near my Louis Kang. I shot the bang out a gang bang the one that my slang thing. I found up on the place, puffin' on a slim thing. Or in the hotel, choking, poking a slim thing. In a shit slim thing is where you find me sitting. Sprinting slow grind like you know grind Rock pocket but I hustle in your own mind Reactivated my music, I'm on the bomb in mind Wicked way before fear was 125 From 
the heights, so it let me from the 25 Where the ears are all heavy like rocking at 85 Not hesitating with the thing, I bring it to your life Break the fire upon the mic and now you're talking jive For hot and kitty, we for strong and last drive Representing USA, yes, you know it's just a vibe, Yo, me and Red Eyes finna pull up whenever For the party, let me jump in, or we'll leave for something better Life is way too fucking short to worry about the whack shit Rather find a place where some people go and pack shit New York to Melbourne, we keeping them L's burned If you come at me, then you are gonna need a shelter Wasn't that just you running your damn mouth? Oh, I'm your man's now, cause you need a handout huh. Slow down, clock, you killin' Slow down, slow down, clock, you killin' Slow down, slow down, clock, you killin' Bodies on top of dead bodies, at the minimum Slow down, yeah. slow down, red, you killin' Slow down, slow down, red, you killin' Slow down Slow down, red, you killin' Bodies on top of dead bodies at the drenum Table 8 Bodies featuring Paco, the G-Train Bandit, and Red Daz. It's Psychedelia on 3CR, 855am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au, uh, sitting with Rob, Justin, Poppy and Frankie talking about uh, a wide variety of issues. <laughs> yeah. You guys say it better than I do. <laughs> Class-based stratification. And, um, I like that word, stratification. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, what about, I'm just, I hope prison always interests me a lot, um, just because I, it is like, a, a lot of people, when we designate people into prison, we often like also dehumanise them and, they, and, and society doesn't really seem to give shit like what's happening in prison. They're like, oh, you know, just put them in mm. the cell and lock them away from the rest of the world and it's like they just don't exist. Did yeah. you feel like that? Did you feel... Yeah, I mean, trying to get any sort of treatment, um, you know, medical treatment, um, anything from a minor headache, you know, to something major is a... Just a horrible process you have to go through and most of the time it's ignored too and e- even the you know, officers screws you know, whatever you want to call them um, they would treat certain prisoners with um, you know some would be treated with absolute respect like they were they were they're equal um, others would be who, yeah. who would they would that be your, your bikers or would that be like who would they treat more or the, or the accountant like um, yeah, lock, lock your biker crowd, lock the... Yeah. Um, but lock up, going back to my accountant friend back there, um, what I was leading to earlier on, when he was assaulted at this other jail, Lodden, near Castle Main, another medium security jail, they moved him to Fulham. But unlike most prisoners, um, they offered him protection. He didn't want to go into protection because obviously that has a bad name and that's associated with... Um, snitches. Yeah, sex yeah. offenders and snitches oh, and yeah. uh, corrupt cops and all that sort of thing. So it's the last place he wanted to go. Um, so they said, look, we can put you in another prison, but you know, we'll have to put you in solitary for a few days until a prison escort van comes along and takes you know, anywhere from six-plus prisoners to make it viable to bring that van in. Because I believe it cost about $800 to transport every prisoner between each jail, no matter what the distance. Oh, wow. Um, but he, he got a different deal. He was actually driven um, in one of the prison sedans, or one of the staff. He was still <laughs> cuffed, but he was driven from Castle, Maine to Sale. Wow. 
yeah. uh, for that transfer. So yeah, money does talk, <coughs> status does talk, even in jail. Yeah. And I think it's also like, I, I believe, like my belief is that the more status and income you have and the more you are believed to be woven into the fabric of legitimate society, the more inherent trust and privilege is afforded to you. So that guy was probably driven the sedan because the people there believed that he was um, inherently more woven into the fabric of society than somebody that comes from housing commission and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, the same, it's the same thing that will happen in court cases where a person who's, um, you know, two people commit the same crime, the one who's sort of higher up in society will get a lesser sentence because it's yeah. believed that they've kind of got more to lose and that like, they... Like um, Brock, you know, they, Brock yeah. that rapist guy that got off, mm. yeah. like, yeah, with, like, you know, nothing. It would, be, it would be somehow worse to sort of um, ruin this person's yeah. life, you know, because yeah, they've got more Yeah, but if your life's already on, shitty, then fucking then, then who cares? Then too bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get a worse yeah. sentence that's come down on you to make a, a, an example of you. Yeah, know? and, like, that pharmacist, like, she, you know, mistook me or mistaken... I don't know what class I am now, but she mistook me for middle class, so... She, for, she gave me all this medication without having to contact a GP. But if I was, if she yeah. knew, like, what class, if I was, you know, coming across as more lower class, and I had, I've had to change the way that I speak. So 10 or 12 years ago before, I, as I entered into university, there's just a different way you talk. You know, you know how you talk in prison. Like, yeah. And it's like similar in Housing Commission. It's just, just a different vernacular, a different um, inflection. Almost, almost without realising, you just make that change, don't you? Yeah, and like women's voices are more masculine in the lower classes because you don't you don't want to like little girly voice because that's weak. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? So yeah. you're like, so you, there's a lot of just different like um, signalers that you have to like slowly change in order to integrate into and you know pass as uh, middle class you know and so that pharmacist assumed that I was middle class and therefore was happy to hand over a bunch of medication that she probably wouldn't do if I was coming across as somebody from housing commission and I'm guessing yeah like it's pretty similar in most institutions as well and um, even yeah getting justice so like I took somebody to court uh, for abuse and I would never have done that <coughs> had I not moved classes like had I not gone into university and developed social capital and developed relationships with people from professional backgrounds and who were able to reflect back to me that what was happening in my life and what um, you know the things I experienced were you know um, issues that I had rights around and that I should be considered as a part of the society mm-hmm. and because you, otherwise you don't really talk to you don't talk to police um, generally speaking you know like you just they're never there to help you normally like they just I, you know and if you do you're seen by your peers as that you know that proverbial <laughs> that dog person. or yeah. <laughs> and even yeah because yeah, I was talking with a girl in detox um, who yeah she'd been on remand a few times and I was asking her like if I went to prison and I told them that I had charged somebody and he you know and he was like a full pedophile and everything and normally people in prison don't like pedophiles and she even said I wouldn't tell anyone anyway because people could you know like you know a lot of people might think that maybe you were lying about it or you were just trying to lag somebody in to get them you know you normally like you sort things out amongst yourself yeah because I remember telling a few of my friends from housing commission about like the truth about it um when I was in in my early 20s and they're like oh would you want us to go bash him like we'll run through his house we'll baseball bat and I was just like no 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 just like just I don't know just 
cooperate with the police if they ask you something about it. And like, oh, sure, we'll fucking bash it. And, you know, like, <laughs> like that, you know, that's the, you, you have your internal um, justice system. Yeah, and Because you can't count on the police. On the to, police. Like, yeah. they're not, they're not, yeah, they can't, you. you can't trust yeah. that they won't just turn on you if you call on them because, just, because you're part of this sort of drug underclass of people. Well, exactly, yeah. especially when you've had that long history with them and you've been almost conditioned to yeah. believing that almost, you know, that negative self-talk comes in too and you, you even believe yourself sometimes that either you're not worthy or deserving or, as you said, it's not going to get followed up because of who I am or where yeah. I'm from. So. Yeah. Well, I think what, I'm, what I was really interested in was this idea of being woven into the fabric of society because I think it really speaks to the, um, like, the kind of Eurocentric male-centric kind of attitude where society is designed for and built out of this idea that like you know middle class wealthy white dudes are the kind of default position Mm -hmm. and I think that this really comes like I mean I think that this comes back to religion really like I think that this idea of God and Adam as like these kind of white men and anything that is like uh, the further you step away from that, the more aberrant you get. It's like the woman was made out of Adam's yeah, rib, and like you start deviant. to step. And she was responsible for original sin. Responsible for original <laughs> sin, exactly. And each deviation, like you, you start to get less privilege, you start to get more oppression, you start to get more discrimination. And I think that this, um, it comes back to this idea of the degenerate. You know, like this idea that um, each step away from kind of straight white cisgendered dude is a degeneration, and it's a degeneration to society itself, to the fabric of society itself. Because, um, you know, I look at, um, you know, women, and I look at queer people, and I look at you know people of color, and I look at the the kind of experiences that they have. Um, and I look at the ways in which society criminalizes essentially deviant behavior. I, you know, like um, in the past, it was kind of homosexuality was considered deviant, not because it's actually doing any harm to anyone, not because there's any actual problem with it, but because it is perceived to be um, dissolving the fabric of society. It's perceived like if it's this attitude that society is this organism and the deviant behavior is. Um, uh, is a threat to it. It's a threat to society itself. And I think that this is the same thing with drug addiction. I think that like the addict as an identity is essentially essentially a marginalized identity that is perceived to be degenerate and aberrant and that we that we legislate against it and we legislate with zero tolerance of it in the same way that we legislated against gay marriage, you know, trans rights, all of these kinds of things are legislated against because they're perceived as a threat to society, even when they're not a threat to society. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I well, see that. They're a threat that. to society in a certain form. They're a threat to the, to the structure of a society that, that privileges certain people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly what it's a threat to. Like, and I, um, I, I look at um, things like um, the, the kinds of drugs and the kinds of attitudes that are legislated against. And I look at, you know, this idea of the kind of junkie or the ice addict that is crazy and that is going to have psychosis and is going to get to bash people up. And I mean, that sort of may be true in some senses, but this idea that we're legislating against drugs because they do harm to society is clearly false because, I mean, if you look at something like alcohol, 
that's the one that's going to really fuck people up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It does multi-systemic damage to your own body. The people that are going to get violent and you know run people off the road and do really stupid stuff are really drunk people. That's not true of heroin addicts. That's not true of cannabis smokers. Like and even like even if some drug disorders correlate highly with like problematic behaviours that may have come out of like mental health or mm. trauma. I remember like an instance um, in court where the judge was um, sentencing the person that I charged, and he had, and I felt I felt really uncomfortable with his actually like he had no evidence uh, of a diagnosis of bipolar, mm. and I know that you know it was something that he had talked about a lot, but he didn't really you know he was very lower class he had. Uh, lower um, IQ and obviously I'm not making excuses like he's a douchebag and very sociopathic but Mm. I just didn't like the way that the court handled it because he had gotten like a diagnosis maybe from a GP or something but or gone to see a psychologist or psychiatrist but had no record of it because it was so long ago and then she kind of insinuated that it was his drug taking that was the motivating factor for his crime and ergo that was also his own fault yeah and i'm like it it just kind of bothered me because i was like that it's clear like there's a clear pattern of like mental instability for this dude and i guess it bothered me because it bothered me also like in terms of what treatment outcomes and you know rehabilitation do we have a rehabilitatory society yeah and also the way that the drug use issue that he had was framed as his fault whereas a mental health issue wouldn't be framed as his fault yeah absolutely um, yeah like i'm completely happy that obviously that he got sentenced and i loved that the way that the judge handled my case but i just had a problem with that in particular you yeah. know like that the drug use was seen as like oh uh, you brought it upon yourself type issue whereas the mental yeah. health like it's somehow seen as separate like something that happens to you but i do definitely think that this is the same kind of attitude that we see with women and we see with queer people and we see with you know like any of these kinds of attitudes where it's like you brought it upon yourself is essentially what would happen to me when i was sexually assaulted do you know what i mean because you're queer because you're promiscuous because you're a giant slut obviously you were asking for that to happen to you and i think that this is the kind of attitude that we have towards you know the mar- like any kind of a marginalized class which i would consider an addict to be a marginalized yeah. uh, a marginalized identity because this idea that any harm that comes to you from doing drugs is your own fault you brought it upon yourself you decided to be a drug addict which is just false do you yeah. know what I mean? no one decides to be a drug no addict no one's like oh i really i'm really looking forward yeah. to like constant withdrawals and yeah. having to take like cuz when you're a drug addict like when you use and you need um your you know dose to just have normality it's not like you really even getting that high and you, maybe you do chase a bit of a higher now and then well fuck like you, your life's pretty shit anyway like you can't, it's you really can't, just preventive maintenance isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah absolutely like yeah you're just mostly maintaining and yes sometimes if you're lucky you'll get a buzz <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely know. but I, and i think i mean for a lot of the people that i um like am involved with who are like um who are have been addicts or who are currently addicts like a lot of the time there is this kind of universal experience of just needing to escape from being in our body do you know what I mean? Like, a largely, it's, I mean, all of these people have trauma. They all have, like, complex trauma. They all have old, ingrained patterns of trauma that have gone on for them. 
and they talk about their and we all talk about our experience of taking drugs as just this really kind of visceral need to escape the experience of being in our bodies mm. and to suggest that that's like you know like a morally reprehensible bad choice it's like critical <laughs> when, like... when doctors and psychiatrists are prescribing benzos and antidepressants and right? it's like it's no different except for that we're that we're doing it ourselves, ourselves. yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a little yeah. bit more fun yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know i'm just trying to get the tiniest like eek the tiniest bit of joy out of this like yeah. horrible life <laughs> yeah because i've always found my um self-medication when it becomes problematic and when it doesn't so like say if i'm using MDMA that's never really become problematic for me because I'm never using MDMA to like self-medicate to yeah. escape yeah. feelings of any sort I'm just using it because it's fun because it's fun yeah. um so I've never like you know gotten bitch- addicted yeah to I've MDMA. never like gotten addicted to MDMA before but like whereas when it comes to like codeine or like benzos or you know like um cannabis even or uh, like a small stint of like ice or alcohol that was always to self-medicate yeah, absolutely. Like it was always to like have control over how i was feeling and to be able to like manage that but and you, and you look at it like um upper class addicts like one of the most abused medications is prescription medications absolutely. yeah and you have like that image of like the middle class maybe maybe it's like that pharmacist things like i am the middle class lady that accidentally got addicted to prescription medication <laughs> right? but, wait am i that <laughs> 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 But it's funny, isn't it? If you're identified as that middle class, you know, woman who's accidentally become addicted to those yeah. prescription medications, society would take sympathy upon you, wouldn't they? Absolutely, yeah. as a better person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're a victim. You're yeah. a victim in that case, not not the perpetrator. Even though, no matter what, yeah. the drug crimes are always victim and perpetrator is the same person. Yeah, it's just, however. The, the sort of popular narrative decides to frame it. Which which one are you going to be this time? Victim or perpetrator? Victim, perpetrator, victim, yeah. perpetrator. And it does seem it to be ice, Yeah, if I was not, like, back when I was 19 or 20, uh, or actually I think I was about 18, yeah, eight, no, 17, 18, I was using ice heavily. And I was, like, incredibly thin. I was living in housing commission. I would not be seen no. in nearly Absolutely. the same light as now being, like, a, a, over 30 well made up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can look and healthy. I'm wearing MAC, bitches. Yeah, I actually am wearing MAC. Thank you. It was a gift, though. Yeah. So now I'm like the middle class accidental addict. I never even realised that till right now. I do think also, though, that the kind of, like, the really important thing about um, approaching drug addiction and approaching drug use in this kind of, like, victim blaming, you know, you're a bad person, moralizing, is that it's just largely unhelpful. Mm. Like, it doesn't actually fix anything. It doesn't have, like, the outcomes in terms of getting people to stop using drugs are just abysmal. Like, yeah, there's it doesn't no, there's work no health care. Like, I don't have any, tra- like, there's no crisis trauma intervention. When I was trying to get into detox, you know, they wanted me to go on, <clears throat> on Suboxone, but I said to them, like, look, I'm, at that time I was taking, like, three panadine fort a day i'm like i'm not going on suboxone for three, for three panadine yeah. fort i said well what if i tape it off them and then came in they're like oh well you know because then you're not detoxing from anything and i was trying to explain to them that i was in a very um emotional time like i was in the middle of a court case i was being cross-examined i was having re-traumatization i, I needed mental health support and they're like oh well maybe go to mental health and i'm like but they won't let me because of the drug use yeah. so 
there was just nowhere to go. Like in this the is a really system. big problem in the whole medical industry, though, because I know that like even in psych, they won't they will treat they won't let you into psych if you've got a physical problem. They'll make you get treated for the physical problem mm-hmm. before they'll let you into the psych ward, as if physical health and mental health are completely different things that yeah. don't have any kind of an interaction with each other. And I think that's the same thing with like drug addiction and mental health are two different things. And I know that a lot of like even in the private rehabs, like I mean, I have like eating disorder stuff. I have a bunch of other kind of, you know, stuff. And I just had to be really quiet about it. Because if my eating disorder stuff came out while I was in rehab for drug and alcohol, you know, they would have kicked me out. Oh, yeah, because I they're had... like, we're not equipped to deal with that. That's a different issue that you're, you know, like, we'll get in trouble for looking after you when we're not qualified to deal with it. There's this whole kind of I weird had to, thing. Yeah, I know? had to um, like, keep quiet on the fibromyalgia. So when mm. I mentioned that at first, at first they were like, oh, no, this is a problem. We can't, um, we're not going to do anything around this for you because that's a physical problem. And I ended up just like taking it back and I was like oh I don't well I never really got a diagnosis anyway it's just something I thought I might have myself and I don't know if I really have it right and then they were, I was able to access yeah. some services so. absolutely but it's the same thing with self-harm <clears throat> you know like if you're self-harming while you're getting treated for drug and alcohol they won't treat you for drug and alcohol they'll send you off to get treated for the self-harm and then you'll end up taking a bunch of drug and like it's really yeah. a bizarre approach to health it's a bizarre approach to people like there's this no, idea yeah. that there's no interaction between the physical body and the mental reality and the drug <laughs> war has really prevented that um proper tailored health care that we really need like my drug and alcohol issues are such a like two-step removed symptom mm. of like what my actual issues are right. that i'm struggling to get treatment for you know particularly if it, i mean it was crisis situation because things don't usually like sometimes they'll build up gradually but most of the time like something horrible will happen all at once and yeah, you right. kind of need like help immediately then, yeah then and there and they just don't have that so there's no they have imprisonment or like eight month wait for rehab Absolutely. or like a bunch of hoops to jump through for detox and then you know even mental health like you can't so if you're feeling suicidal or like self-harming there's not much you can do you can go to er and they'll give you a couple of volumes and then you're in the, on your way like yeah. there's no real mechanism to like address the health issues that are quite prevalent um particularly amongst the lower status and lower class communities and so drug disorders are like they're not um decreasing you know they're, no. they're proliferating and they're being treated as this law order approach and tunnel vision on the drug dependence and a complete ignorance of the need for appropriate community services, mental health care, um, even just like basic health care, dental, like yeah, all the right. other. Because if you've got a sort, if you need a root canal and you're poor, I'll be you're just heroin. Like yeah. there's no like there's not much you can do. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you know, you like you just or you end like black market endone. Yeah. Or you you know a sympathetic doctor might give you a bunch of prescription meds and you'll have to just keep taking them because you can't get into the dentist. So. But um, even getting that sympathetic doctor these days is quite hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, yeah. When I disclosed my drug use, um, my doctor, my my longtime GP, which was quite I don't see anymore, which was quite a while ago, back in the suburbs where I grew up. When I disclosed my IV drug use, he always knew I smoked weed and he, I lied to him. I told him I'd take party drugs occasionally. I didn't <coughs> tell him the full amount. <laughs> but when I said I was an IV drug user and I had bloods done because um, testing for hep C and I found out I contracted hepatitis C back then. And his exact words, and I still remember to this day, was, well, you sleep with dogs, you get fleas. 
Jesus. Oh you're, you're, and he said, you're an idiot, you know? So Big it's like, wow, yeah. yeah. yeah that, that put me off seeing any medical assistance for years. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and they just say so, um, GPs can be, like, if you get a good one, it's amazing, but most of the time they're pretty crap when it comes to AOD issues or even mental health issues. Like, I remember seeing one um, GP, and it was when I first started experiencing pain symptoms associated with stress. Like, I just started university, and I was incredibly anxious coming from a lower class and being in a middle-class institution. I was like, this is going to make or break me. Mm. And uh, so I was really anxious, and I started just getting a lot of pain, like... And it's similar to, like, the muscle aches you get when you withdraw from opioids, but I'd never touched opioids at this point. So that's the only way I can describe the pain, which I believe is fibromyalgia. Um, but I went to the doctor at the time, and I'm like, I'm getting all this weird pain, uh, like my legs hurt, my hips hurt. And she did literally, and you know, I'm really anxious all the time. And she, like, literally just shrugged at me and said, what do you want me to do about it? And I was like... Um, medicate me. <laughs> What's the point of view? What's like, the actual yeah, point of view? Medicate or, like... <laughs> mental health plan or something she's like oh well i can't do that unless only your regular doctor can do that and i'm like well i moved here for uni like i've moved you know two hours from where i live and she just shrugged at me again and i was like okay <laughs> <laughs> fuck me then i guess Thanks. i don't know like, i'll just die i don't know we've got about um five minutes left uh yeah. on 3cr it's in psychedelia i'm um, speaking with rob justin poppy and frankie um so yeah uh, some final thoughts maybe in a final five minutes Well, I guess, like, my major thing that I'm just going to reiterate on is that um, our society, particularly under a new Liberal government, even Labor, as I said, Labor has only promised 1,000 houses, they've uh, reduced funding to community services, they've increased prison beds. There's just not... You know, we, we need to stop looking at drug and alcohol issues in isolation from broader mental health issues. We have the Royal Commission into Mental Health happening at the moment <clears throat> but what that will do uh, remains to be seen like I don't know if it's just going to be tokenistic or not um, but when it comes to class drugs and um, the war on drugs we're seeing our prisons become the new asylum for mm. people who are struggling with um, complex <coughs> mental health problems post-traumatic stress disorder anxiety um, even you know coming from a middle class <clears throat> struggling with those issues like if you're not able to get appropriate treatment and appropriate health drug and alcohol issues are just symptoms <coughs> of that broad yeah. issue but they've been tunnel vision and blown like it's like society is staring at that whilst ignoring all the other problems that come from like poverty and mental illness and and some of the crime that comes out of that as well some of it is victimless crime some of it does hurt the community as well but until we actually address the need for more appropriate mental health um, care which includes inherently drug and alcohol abuse we're just going to see a, a society further fragmented by inequality and seeing like those that are sick those that are less privileged those um that come from the lower class just being warehoused into prison like the prison population is exploding and it's mm. no there's like we can see why so well i also think that um the way that we legislate is largely um informed by cultural attitudes towards morality i mean the law is constructed it's not an actual ontological thing and um people vote people you know push for laws based on our understanding of what is moral and what is right and what is good and until we can kind of reframe the cultural consciousness and reframe the attitudes towards um, marginalised classes of people um, 
including you know poor people and, and underclass people and working class people but also like queer people and women and people of color and trans people and you know all, all of the kinds of um people that have in the past been considered to be morally aberrant in some way until we can kind of reframe the cultural construct towards these kinds of um these kinds of communities as bad people who are hurting themselves that need to be um, controlled and parented and, and, and given the right direction. <laughs> um, yeah, need to be directed into the light of the straight, white, cisgendered man um, that these laws are going to continue, that this kind of marginalisation is going to continue. We're going to continue to legislate against drugs because we're going to believe that these people are hurting themselves because they're morally aberrant. We're going to continue to legislate against trans rights because these people are just crazy and they need to, you know, kick up the bump. Do you know they're what I mean? They're making like, poor choices. They're making yeah. poor choices. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And until we can kind of reframe that consciousness, I think that the legislation will reflect the like society's attitudes. Absolutely fine, Jesus. Right? <laughs> exactly. More Jesus. More white Jesus. Um, but yeah, I think that the legislation is going to reflect cultural attitudes towards these kinds of things. And I think in terms of the class system. Um, legislation against drugs and and the kind of um, uh, the ways in which capital will privilege people who have capital like capitalism privileges people who have cap capital mm -hmm. um, will continue to perpetuate lower class people using a bunch of drugs using unskilled mechanisms to be able to deal with you know trauma that is cultural and social so you know be better people. <laughs> Undeserving poor. Right? Well, how do you follow up on that? I don't know what to say. Um, yeah, well, I suppose I'd have to agree with Frankie totally. But, you know, Australia prides itself on its diversity and, you know, everyone gets a fair go, which is bull <laughs> bullshit. So, yeah, time to live up to it, really. Right. Um, you know, that person in the street having a shot or doing it really hard could be a brother, sister, uncle, mother, father, whatever. Uh, yeah, look at the person, not the problem. Oh, yeah. and the problem, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's, that's it for me. That's, thank that's you. Thank you all. <laughs> yeah. More on these discussions at the Encyclopedia website, encyclopedia.org, or just head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page. Find us on social media and get in contact with us. We'll be back 2pm next week. But right now, Queering the Air. See you later. This is Encyclopedia. Comments, complaints or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. Encyclopedia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear Encyclopedia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.